Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Eden Espinosa, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. Today we welcome a lady with a unique vocal talent that's led her to play some of the most iconic roles on the stage. With credits including Evita, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Rent, In the Heights, Falsettos and a rather small show called Wicked. Alongside originating the leading role in the new musical Brooklyn, her voice has launched her to international success and recognition. Here in an exclusive conversation, it's time to talk to Broadway's legendary vocalist about her fantastic vocal gift, how leading the final Broadway company of Rent completely changed her life, and why her time in Wicked made her feel like a real-life rock star. Also, why YouTube videos and performances online that you see filmed with that little camera and the comparison of Broadway performers actually harms the performances that we see on stage. It's time to get very personal and very honest with one of my all-time favourite people. I'm very excited for this and I hope you are too. It's icon Eden Espinosa on this, the next episode of Eleven the official theatre podcast. Just to let you know, due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, Eden and I connected across the pond digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. Please help me welcome to the next episode of Eleven, somebody that's actually been a constant in my life for a significant number of years, and she's not even aware of it. And today, I must confess, I'm going to do my very best to, well, tell her all about it. So please help me welcome to Eleven, Eden Espinosa. Hi! How are you? I'm doing okay. You know, it's a bit it's a bit crazy over here in the US, but um, given, given everything that's going on, I'm doing well. You look amazing. I was saying before we started recording that Eden has this humongous sort of blown out hair and this amazing sort of ready pinky colored velour tracksuit on which I'm very very jealous of which I've literally rolled out of bed threw on a pair of glasses and I have my onesie on so uh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> 
Rotto, good start. I don't, although I am wearing a very boring black t-shirt, so I do feel sort of not very dressed up. So I'm so glad this is a podcast because people would just be staring at you, as they would anyway. But I want to do just a quick public service announcement and just check on behalf of all the gays and girlies out there. How's the Eden Espinosa belt doing? Is it safe and well? It's safe and well. It's actually, it's funny because I, I haven't really sang that much during the pandemic and I'm not the type of singer that like just sings every day. I mean, in the car maybe um and i actually had a, a session yesterday for voiceover where i had to sing like two songs and my voice was like yo what is going on <laughs> where i called a friend after and i was like am i a singer because my voice was literally looking at me going what do you think you're doing right now um <laughs> but yes it's well and intact possibly a tiny bit out of shape right now but we're doing good i mean to be fair we could probably stop here that's all i wanted to know so signing Thanks off for your time and goodbye <laughs> literally be the shortest podcast in the world no i joke i wanted to check because we're all obsessed with it we all love it and it, it's an amazing amazing instrument that you've used as i mentioned to on in so many different shows and and one i referenced just a second ago was falsettos you did the national tour across the united states and it's a show that had this resurgence i mean we had this production in london which went crazy i mean mm -hmm. people like are obsessed with it and obviously we had the huge production most recently on broadway and and obviously the people listened to the cast album and rediscovered it so I guess, you know, you said when you were doing that show, I think it was um, sort of towards the start that being in it healed you, you know, it was a sort of full 360 experience. And I loved this idea that you can benefit not just creatively, but personally from your work as well. And that was incredibly inspiring as somebody that, that follows you and follows the show to know that you still feel that being in it. So I guess in your own words, what was it about that show that, that really connected with you? Why did you, you know, just have to be part of it? Funny story, like I, I didn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> Um, you know, I think that like, you know, I saw the the revival on Broadway. I have so many friends in that production and it was a gorgeous production. And to be honest with you, I, I wasn't incredibly familiar with the show as a whole with with individual songs. I definitely was. And, um, <clears throat> you know, auditions were coming around for for the tour and and I passed on on the audition mostly because I've never toured before and I wasn't particularly interested in touring at this moment in time. Um, and then the other reason was because I, I didn't really see myself as a Trina. Um, and uh, I'd never played a role like that before really. And um, so I, you know, I said no to the audition actually twice. Um, and then it came around the third time and I finally sat myself down and I said, you know, I was like, Eden, James Lapine and Bill Finn are asking to see you get over your, whatever the reasons are and go in. Like, you know, I try to like think about things of, this is coming around again and there might be a reason. Um, and I, you know, I went in and I, I, I didn't think I was gonna get this job until my audition was over. And I, and I thought, I'm, I'm gonna get this job. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I think mostly because like, I, I think I had a completely different take on, on the role that, than, than what they had seen before. Um, and it just was a lesson in, in don't limit yourself based on what you think of yourself. You might show them a different version that they, they respond to. So um, Trina was very, very unexpected and I had just, come off a divorce um, that was actually finalized while we were on tour. Um, and so, you know, there were things that uh, about Trina and her, you know, my ex-husband wasn't gay, but there were things um, about Trina and Marvin and their, their journey 
that I, that it, it evoked things in me that I thought that I was over. Um, and so there was just a lot of like uncovering and a lot of rawness and it actually helped me get past a lot of stuff that I didn't think I needed to get past. <laughs> so it was a surprise in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but also it was um, beautiful and fulfilling in, in the moments of, of being a mother. It's an amazing show and it's, it's so interesting how many different ways that it connects with individuals. Going to see it having seen and listened to the, the cast album on so many different occasions to see how different ages and different types of people respond to it. And I imagine that's something that you experienced on the national tour, you know, state to state, you know, city to city, you know, how yeah. the fact that this story itself isn't just, you know, a one sort of size fits all. It really does connect to different people in different ways. And I guess that's a testament to the way in which it fit into your life. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because when I saw the show, of course, there were beautiful moments that I was moved by. But as a whole, I literally looked at these people and, and was like, everyone is horrible. Like, you know, and that's, and that's actually what is, what was beautiful about learning the show it, and, and appreciating the fact that Bill Finn wrote these characters um, incredibly, they, that are incredibly flawed and incredibly human and messy, but they are a family. Um, and in, in all the different ways that people can be a family. And um, it was awesome to get in it and then find the connections for me um, and for all of us as individuals. Also separating ourselves from the, from the original revival cast and making it our own, which was cool as well. But it was interesting um, taking it around to certain cities um, who, who, uh, possibly weren't as progressive as others. Um, and it's a very niche piece of theater, you know? It's not everybody's cup of tea, you know, sonically, the way that it's written, melodies and stuff, it's not that accessible to everybody. Um, and so it was interesting to see, you know, city to city, how it was received. You know, sometimes in certain cities, people would leave after act one uh, and not, and the theater was definitely more empty for act two, which is a completely different vibe than act one. So, um, you know, it, it was, um, it was a very <laughs> varied tour, but um, we had a, we had an amazing time. What about the interactions that you had with people perhaps after the show or, you know, even passing in the street? I know some people spot, you know, stars from shows and they say, oh, I came to see the show and I got this from it. Because I imagine it probably did cross your mind at least once that the story that you're telling could, you know, is a real story. It does happen to some people. Yes, it's obviously a niche story, but there will be people that come see you playing this role that will have been through that experience. You know, did, did that ever happen? Were you ever sort of mindful of that? Absolutely. And what was, I think we all were, were shocked at the amount of young people that really identified with these characters and, and what they were going through, um, you know, for a million different reasons. Um, you know, the relationship of a young person with their parents when it came to Judaism, when it came to maybe my, my dad left us and is now married to a man, um, or my mom left and now, you know, that kind of thing. And also, the amount of awareness that it brought to a generation about the AIDS epidemic and the AIDS, you know, 
crisis in, in, in the world and in this country. We felt the, the weight of that, the responsibility of exposing what this was at the time, which was a death sentence, um, pretty much. Um, so yeah, there were so many different um, aspects to the show that really, it was actually talking to people after the show at the stage door that, that we really understood um, the, the nuance um, in how and how the, the connection that people were having to the show that was just so layered and nuanced with everybody for a million different reasons, which is what's so beautiful about art, you know? And, and so it was, that was incredibly, um, it was an honor and it was uh, gratifying and, and fulfilling to know that. And were you aware during the show that there was this, you know, desperate need for leading ladies to belt with bananas in their mouth? Were you aware that, <laughs> that this was a thing? Um, I was, um, I wasn't aware, but it like still tickles me to this day, um, that because it is, it is quite a a science, believe Mm. it or not, where to place it in your mouth so that you don't inhale a piece or I put too much in that time or, you know, um, but, uh, that, that moment in a show is, is one of the iconic things. It's like, you know, you very rarely get a, a chunk, a number that is so beautifully crafted um, that can let you just play and have fun. It's so naughty and it's probably going to make absolutely no sense to anybody that's never seen the show. Like they'll think there's some form of very crude innuendo. I promise you it's not. It's quite literally a, a you know, a, a scheduled part of the show. It, it does make sense if you go see it. So this part, I can just imagine people going, what is he talking about? Yes. You mentioned the AIDS crisis because it is a huge part of that show. And I'm really you know, grateful that, that stories like this are being told. We often don't see them on stage. The Inheritance has been this phenomenal play that, that came from England that played on Broadway and had an, you know, an amazing reaction. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And Falsettos is another piece of you know, theatre that, that really does that. Another show that you were part of, which you closed, the Broadway company was Rent. And that show in itself, I mean, the two shows that I referenced before had amazing impact on the theatre community, but Rent, I think, is the original, you know, that tackled the AIDS crisis in a way that literally sent a seismic shift through the world. I mean, it really is to this day, if you were to put a full scale production on, there's nothing like it. Nothing will ever beat it. It sits in a genre all of its own. The production itself, we're very lucky to say, was recorded and we get to just see you belting for the gods once again. Um, <laughs> see you with this wonderful hair, which and those leather pants and the white top and uh-huh. It's just, it's yeah. just amazing. Were you aware when you were going in just, you know, it sounds cliche, but just how much of a big role and a big show it was, or did you sort of have to, you know, close yourself out from the outside world or you'd probably just poo yourself? No, I, I was completely aware. You know, this show uh, was monumental in my journey. Um, you know, it was, I always loved theater and I always like wanted to do it. But when Rent, when I first heard Rent and these voices in this, in that original cast, I immediately was like, oh, if these people are on Broadway, I can definitely make it. You know, it wasn't like I had to sound more legit or more, you know, this stuff, one of the first times besides like hair and, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, that you had like pop rock voices, true pop rock voices. And um, again, monumental in, in shaping me and, and what I wanted to do. It was the first show I ever saw on Broadway. 
Um, I definitely staged doored with and got all the original cast signature. And so when this opportunity came around, you know, I also auditioned for the show 11 times when I was like 18, 19 years old, never got it. Um, auditioned for the movie, didn't get it. And so when it came, you know, I, I kind of resigned myself of like, all right, this dream isn't meant to happen. And, and so many of my friends were in the show and over the years and, um, this happened and, and it was a, it wasn't an offer. It, I didn't have to audition, which is like the first time that had ever happened in my career as well. It was like, yes, the end. This was before we even knew that it was going to be filmed. We didn't know at the time it was going to be filmed. I just thought, oh, I get to be Maureen in the closing cast on Broadway. The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> so it was a, a full circle moment, um, you know, very emotional, huge dream come true. And then also to like, all I ever wanted to do was be Maureen. And, and to also have the, the link and connection to Adina um, and to have been her standby on Broadway and then to be the closing Maureen. It was just like a lot of connections and full circle moments that were just beautiful for me. Were you, or are you even, one of those people that think if you put stuff out there, it comes back to you. You know, if you say to the world, I really want to play this role, then maybe perhaps it might do a 360 and come back to you because there's been lots of different parts of your career that sort of happened. And I love the fact that you pushed away falsettos so much, but actually ended up giving you more than you could ever expect from a job. And then 11 times for rent and obviously your connection to Adina and, you know, that feels, that feels amazing, but that does also feel like a, you know, it was always sort of meant to happen. Yeah, I, I strongly strongly believe in that but it's also about like acceptance and surrender you know kind of I I'm very much I've learned this the older I've the older I get and and the more time I spend in this career in this industry is like you know what's meant to be yours will be yours um in the time that it's meant that you're ready for it and I'm I'm very much a believer in in roles teaching you what you know and and um breaking you open and always learning from connecting to that person, um, the character that you're playing. And so I always try to learn lessons and get something out of it, whether I know it's going to happen or not. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, you're right. I have had several moments like that in my career and, um, I'm grateful that I've been, um, open enough to receiving, everything that 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 I've been given did playing Maureen having auditioned for it I think you mentioned 11 times fulfill what you wanted it to because I imagine sometimes with roles it's perhaps doesn't quite live up to the you know the height and expectation that you have you know was it everything that you wanted yeah because you know it, it's just like an incredibly special time that group of people we weren't all the typical people they would cast for those roles you know some of the some of the people had done the show for years and years but like at the very beginning and came back I think we were all with the exception of Adam Cantor a little bit older than than what would normally be cast in those roles but it, it was just still to this day the summer of my life it was only three months that that I spent in that show but it was just it was everything I wanted it to be and, and more, you know, and also we were given, you know, that show at the time had been running for 12 years on Broadway and we were, we were given the freedom to put our own stamp on these, on these roles, which, you know, is always a gift. 
So to, to use a falsettos term, it was, it's still to this day a very much a tight-knit fam. And I feel like rent has the ability, no matter where you've done it in the world, it's like you have this instantaneous connection where it's like with other shows, I haven't had that. So I think, I think that Jonathan's words and, and what he wrote are the reason why that is. Um, because his his soul and his heart are very much woven into um, every word of that show, and you feel it, um, and that's that's the difference I think that that brings us all together. Take me or leave me, and Over the Moon are signature songs. I mean, they're probably I imagine certainly Over the Moon like one of those songs I imagine that gets sung all the time in auditions. It's probably like don't sing that song in auditions because it's sung so much because it's such it just has to be delivered in a certain way. You know, it has to be performed in a way perhaps even you know just as written or perhaps that people have heard in the movie or the musical. So when you then go now it's my turn to sing that song, how do you carve out you without pulling away too much from the album or what people are expecting of you how do you make it you know Eden's how do you put your isms on it that's um funny because when you were saying that like something just came to my mind because you know when I I didn't go to school for theater after the original company had been on Broadway for a little while and like the national tour hadn't happened yet none of the other companies had happened yet um and I was like a senior in high school getting ready to graduate and Every time the woman that I got, I, I'd make it past the first round into the second round. And I, I auditioned for that woman 11 times. And she, the thing she would say to me every time is don't sing it like the cast album. But at the time I had no training and I really didn't have the tools to like make it my own because in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing it exactly like her and she has the part. So why aren't you giving me the part? <laughs> so cut to, you know, probably 13 years later, um, I was given the freedom to, to make it my own. And I have to be honest in saying like, Over the Moon is probably one of the scariest things I've ever done um, in a show. It's frightening because you're, you feel like you're out there without a safety net. Um, and for me, you know, I think that um, Maureen can be um, misconstrued as, as an incredibly selfish, self-centered person. And I wanted, I wanted her, my version of her to be so serious about her art. Um, and that, and that can be comedic in how invested she is. Um, and so I just wanted to take that moment as serious as possible, even when things went wrong, you know, with the, like the sound machine or getting a dry throat. And so there were things in there that would happen to me naturally that I would ad lib off of that Michael Greif was like, that is a really great moment. And if you can make that organic as possible, keep it. Um, so there were things like that, that, um, that he allowed me to, to, to bring my own stuff to it. But, but throughout the show, I wanted, I wanted her love for Joanne to be apparent, even though their relationship is tumultuous. And I wanted her love and passion for her performance art to be apparent. And if, if hilarity ensues through, through all of that, all the better, but I, I wanted it I wanted her to be taken seriously um, or she wanted to be taken seriously. 
I can only imagine the pressure of having your performance sort of cemented in history because I do love the movie version. I think it's wonderful, but it, your production is the one that I watch, not just because I was fortunate enough to come and see the show, but because it's live theatre. And I mm. just think, gosh, they're just, you know, those imperfections that you mentioned when things go wrong is actually sort of what makes live theatre exciting because nobody else in the world is ever going to get the same performance that you just mm. delivered or, you know, the audience isn't going to have the same emotional or physical reaction to, to what you just did. And in a show like Rent, as it, you know, as emotional as it understandably is and powerful it is, it is, is also a very fun show. And I think that's important to remember that we are supposed to be celebrating life. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because when I watched that, <clears throat> when I watch our, our, our movie or, you know, our version, I, there are moments that I can, that, that viscerally, like I remember, um, because, you know, it was something that we all commented on almost every single Roger, Mark, Angel, Collins, Maureen, they were all there. Um, and so as, as intimidating as that could be, it was easy for us to shift the perspective on this theater is just full of love for this show, for these roles, for, for this music and for this man who created this show that has impacted our lives so deeply and, uh, and countless others. Um, and so, so, um, you know, I think, I think that is what kept us grounded and centered. Um, because it was overwhelming, you know, having, having that much energy coming at you is, you know, is indescribable. Do you go home feeling, you know, elated? Do you go home feeling emotionally drained? Do you go home feeling somewhat content when you do a show like that, that hits so many different nuances? Oh, all of those things. Yeah. It's just depending on the day. Um, it's all different, but yeah, I mean, I think that like, you know, I think all of us, um, if you're lucky enough, you're, you're paired with like-minded artists, um, and that particular group of people, we, and I think because of that specific time, we knew it was the end. We knew, um, we were the last cast. And so we literally savored every moment and every show we left everything we had because we didn't want to take advantage of any of it. You know, we knew it wasn't going to be another year we, we you know we knew our time was limited it was exhilarating and equally as exhausting because you know the audiences on um, throughout that entire summer were just as enthusiastic as that clothing day so that fuels you but it's also you know it also drains you at the end you feel yeah you feel like oh I did that I did that <laughs> if anybody's wanting to watch that production and that performance not that we're here to plug too much about rent but it is available on itunes and it's worth every penny it's it's really is you know a staple now of of you know i was gonna say british history that's habit american history and all of our history and our collective musical theater history it's an amazing amazing production so let's drop the b-bomb let's talk about one of my favorite things in the whole entire world and that's brooklyn oh! you you look terrified then i was like oh my gosh what did you think i'm going to talk about oh i don't know i was like b-bomb <laughs> i was like what's b i was thinking like <laughs> And there you go. 
anytime anybody mentions you, apart from the show, which we'll talk about in a second, this one gets brought up because, I mean, the songs, the story, I'm getting a little bit sick of myself just constantly saying this to you. You're going to be like saying the same statement about every show, but it's true. Right, let's just start at the beginning. So it's a, it's a role that you got to workshop and, you know, bring through and bring it to the genius that it is now. I mean, for you getting to originate a role, does that mean that all of your dreams, all of your aspirations to want to make something your own come true in... I mean, essentially a rock opera. Does it all just come together in one wonderful piece? Well, uh, um, Brooklyn actually is the thing that brought me to New York um, and gave me my equity card and, you know, got me into the community. Um, and so I didn't even know what a workshop was. Um, you know, at the time I was working at Universal Studios, which is a theme park here in Los Angeles and Florida. And I was doing a show um, called Spider-Man Rocks. And it was when Spider-Man was like huge and it was a rock and roll like stunt show spectacular. And a lot of my friends um, were a little bit older, had come to New York and worked on Broadway and then moved back to LA. And and so I always like looked to them for guidance and advice. And I, and I got a call from the casting director who, who had seen me a few times in LA for things. And, and he said, you know, there's a workshop of a new musical and we haven't found what we're looking for in New York really. And we want to come to LA and I, I want, I want the team to see you. And I was like, great. Okay. No problem. And then I got, I was in the break room and I got off the phone and I literally was like, Hey guys, um, what is a, I didn't have an agent or anything. I was like, um, I just got a call to audition for a workshop. Like, what is that? Should I do it? And they're like, yes, you should. It's, it's like the very beginning of a long journey. And that means you'd be the original. I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay, great. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, I didn't fully understand what it all meant to originate something. I was, because I was so young and was just like, yeah, I get to do this thing in New York. Um, and uh, so at the time I didn't fully grasp the entire concept of originating something, um, but obviously I do now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big deal. I think it was a good call that your friends at Universal said in terms of taking it. I feel like, you know, well well done to your friends for saying, yeah, it's probably a day off that you should take. It's quite a smart move. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once Upon a Time is an anthem now. It's yours. It belongs to you. You're on the album. We've all played it far too many times. If CDs were such a thing, I'd probably have to have 10 different copies because you just go back and <laughs> much love to the rest of the songs in that show but you do sort of you know every song every show even has an anthem when you get presented with material like that apart from the fact you probably think what a beautiful song do you think oh good lord why are they making me belt all the way up here why are they making me do this give me yes. a rest yes. you know what's so funny is somebody um it's just yesterday or today like re you know put a put it on their instagram stories of a a press day that we did for brooklyn and it shows Karen Olivo and Ramona Keller like in the background. And it was the last moment of Once Upon a Time. And I just reposted it today. And I was like, baby Eden and Karen and Ramona. And Karen sent me a DM and she was like, I'm still mad. I'm still mad that they made you do that. And I was like, yes, I know, seriously. <laughs> you know, it just comes with like age. You know, I, I would have done anything they asked me to because I, you know, because I could, I was young enough. Um, and, you know, now, you know, I'm a, I'm a lot older now. And now I'm like, maybe we, 
maybe just a half step down or I have to do this eight times a week. Can we like reframe it a little tiny bit? Um, but at the time I wasn't concerned about any of that because I was just like, we, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I do remember that song in the workshop was very different. It was a different song. And once upon a time was like a very intimate, quiet lullaby ish Thing that street singer sang to Brooklyn. And then when we were going in our out of town tryout, they changed it, took out that old song, made it my song, and it made it like the, the theme of the, of the show that would come back every now and then. And I remember John McDaniel playing this new version for me and then playing the end on the piano, what they wanted me to do. And I remember like saying to him, I was like, I, I, I can't do that. And he's like, yeah, you can. And you will. And I'm like, Okay. Uh, <laughs> so um, I don't know if I had ever sung, I don't know why they thought I could, but obviously they heard something in my voice that maybe I did it later. I don't know, but that note is crazy. And I would never wish it on anyone because now, of course, years later, there's pressure and there's like more mind games that come along. Then I was literally just like, living out my best life and I wasn't concerned about pressure and expectations and now uh, it would be a nightmare to have to execute that eight times a week for me it would be a nightmare <laughs> I just imagine you going around your house being like yeah it's still there yeah I've still got it like or are you like don't even try no I do I do um I I don't sing once upon a time very often but but and I and I don't sing the song to see if I still have it because I, I there's a lot of like there's just a lot of not trauma but there's a lot of stuff connected to that show but like I uh, you know I'll go up there every now and then and be like she's still there okay okay girls all right <laughs> she still got it like mm -hmm. she's in there still it's an amazing song anyway and I can imagine that as much as you go oh my gosh I could never sing that and obviously you come to realize that you can and it's within your bandwidth to be given and presented with and get to make a song an anthem I think it's very very fair to say it's become an anthem yours and obviously you shared it with the world and it's been sung by so many people as homage to the show and a celebration of the show but I imagine this probably sounds a little bit cliche to say but like you're very grateful for that no and that's exactly what it is you know at the time I think um I think the show Brooklyn was ahead of its time you know people really weren't singing that crazy on Broadway at the time. And, and now of course, like there's a million shows where it just gets crazier and crazier. And I think that like people, you know, in college and at the time they were too young to have known the show or seen it. But the fact that people are still connecting to it, the fact that there was a production in the UK um, and, and that people, that people are still discovering it and it's touching them. And like the amount of people that I meet or message me and say like, you know, this, this song or this show has helped me all these years later. Um, it's, it makes me proud, um, you know, and it makes me just know that it was meant to be however, however short lived it was. And for her, however, it wasn't received well in New York at the time. So that makes my heart incredibly happy to know that, that people love it and um and still to this day even if it's not streaming on you know they took it off all the streaming platforms but people are still 
still digging it. And so that makes me happy. If you look online at clips from that show, but also if you look at um, your performances in Evita, which was fairly recently, and also which again is you and your signature notes and making it your own so beautifully. And then if you look at the sort of slightly professional recordings of you as the narrator in Joseph, mm. um, sort of towards the start of your career. And then you, we talk back to you singing, I think, I believe it's Ariel at Universal Studios and, all these performances, I sort of do feel like you set yourself up for a little bit of a challenge because you just apply 100% of you and the crazy interpretations that you do to it. And I think, and not sort of a Wednesday afternoon, you know, mid-March when it's raining and not that it ever rains in the States, but you know, and you'll think, oh gosh, have I got this in me? And you, I feel like you sort of set yourself up to really deliver as well. Is, is there ever the other side to that where you think, oh gosh, people are expecting so much, not just of the character, but of me. And I, I don't think I can deliver, you know, just, does that happen? A million percent. Um, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a real, um, dark time in my career, um, for a, a lot of years where I had to kind of like step back because I, I didn't go crazy, but I, was paralyzed by um, by what I thought people's expectations were. And it affected me. Um, and it affected me, obviously, emotionally, but, you know, I'm, I'm very much an, an empath. And my emotions can affect me physically in a, in a very big way. So I developed a lot of tension and um, just bad shit. Um, when it came to singing and like, I didn't want to sing for a very long time. And I, I stopped auditioning and I, um, and because I mentioned earlier, like I didn't go to school for this. So I, I felt like I had reached a point in my career where I needed a skill set. I needed some tools to really help me cope with nerves and to ground me in the craft so that I didn't let my mind get away and affect me because it was, um, and so, yeah, I took a two-year acting program in New York at the William Esper Studio that literally changed my life and, and gave me um, a skill set to, to bring myself to things so authentically that I don't have to think about or worry about people's perspective of me um, because there's always going to be people who don't care for you or what you do. And the, the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And so, yeah, I feel like once you hit a certain point, there's, um, can easily get swept away at the result. You get, you get very obsessed with the result in anything. Um, and I, I had to get out of that, um, quickly because I was sinking. <laughs> um, and there's still moments of it. There's still, you know, but I've, I'm, like I said, I think the older, the older I got, the more comfortable I got in, in me being a flawed human being. You know, that's the other thing, like with younger generations who were inspired by me and my voice, who have literally in, in skill and technique have surpassed me by far. And that is also a mind fuck of like comparing yourself to your younger self, accepting where you are at that moment and accepting the way that your voice changes and ages and knowing that like, I can still do what I did then, but like, there's so much more, it doesn't sound the same because it's however many years later. Um, and, and accepting that like, 
I want to be a multifaceted, flawed human. And I always want to approach my work that way. And if it's not perfect, I personally am okay with that. Everybody might not be like, ooh, that's flat. Ooh, that was tight. Ooh, that sounded a little strained. Well, um, it's going to because I'm not a robot. So that took me a long time to really be okay with that. But I feel like I've, I've overcome a lot of that mind fuckery and, um, and it's, it's empowering at the end of the day for me. It's incredibly empowering to hear you talk about it as well. I mean, there are many people that have been brave enough to discuss the same types of situations or similar to the one that, that you just mentioned there. But I don't think that we do tend to have these types of conversations within the industry for, you know, a multitude of different reasons, both good and bad. I think some people see it as weakness. A lot of people see it as great strength, you know, in acknowledging the fact that, yes, okay, you have a completely different relationship with your voice now, but gosh, if that didn't happen, you wouldn't have gone, you know, for two years and studied and improved on your acting. Perhaps you wouldn't have got falsettos. I mean, there's, there's so yeah. many, there's so many benefits to it. I feel like actually I'd rather see, and I, you know, just focusing on singing, people expect the notes, but actually I've seen so many actresses with, you know, voices that aren't as strong as the album that are much better actresses on stage. And you think, well, I'd rather have that than the alternative. You know, it's it's very much a give and take situation. And I, I, I applaud you for being completely honest about that because I feel like this is a conversation we should have more often. I agree. I agree. I'm very much a, a believer and in, in transparency and vulnerability and being honest about struggles because... We all have them and there's nothing wrong with them. And of course, with the struggles comes growth and, you know, comes um, knowing yourself even more, um, which in turn just just gives you more depth as an artist. So I'm, I'm happy to have the conversations about struggles and shortcomings anytime. <laughs> Danielle Steers, who stars in Six here, spoke about being slut-shamed and having negativity brought to her, being in because people compared it to the original. And I feel like this is a little very niche and unwanted pocket of our community that, that needs to sort of fuck off, basically. It needs to go. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, like, I... This was years and years ago, but I did a, a blog post about that same thing because there were a lot of things being said online about certain people's performances, you know, or or like having done an eight show a week gig and then doing like a new year's Eve thing in the middle of Times square in the freezing cold. And like, how dare you? Like, you know, because people so easily sit behind their computer screen and throw out these insults, but then you're waiting at the stage door asking for their autograph. Mm -hmm. So you have no idea what anyone's, um, you know, life has been like, what they're dealing with. And of course, they're not going to be like the person who does it eight times a week because they're not afforded that opportunity. <laughs> so yeah, I just, um, you know, it's that thing of like, it's, it's really empathy and compassion of just like, I don't understand. Of course, everyone has their opinions, but do you have to like say them online and tag the person in it? Because that is I don't understand why you're doing that because um, you wouldn't say my face, um, you know? So it's funny. Uh, that kind of thing is, is I don't really understand it. It's, it's somebody just showed me this thing on TikTok just recently where this voice teacher was taking a YouTube clip of me um, and like dissecting it and just saying, oh, well here, there's a little too much weight and she's under pitch here. And of course, you know, it could, she could have been tired. She could have this and that and the other. So I'm like, so then why are you taking a clip of a moment and dissecting it for, for 
why? <laughs> um, and then I'm, you know, I'm, I have an account on TikTok, but I haven't done anything, but like I'm tagged in it. And so it's like, so you wanted me to maybe take your advice as a voice teacher? I don't understand this. Um, it's just a very weird thing. And, and, and that's part of what, why I talk about it because, you know, when I was just starting to come out, you know, come up in the industry on Broadway was right when social media was right when YouTube was blowing up, right when chat boards were happening. And so as I was doing more and more roles, more and more cameras and, and my live concerts and stuff like that, I, you just become more and more aware that people are going to put this online and they're going to say whatever the fuck they want and not think about me. And it, it pair, it's literally feels like someone's choking you and it's awful. Again, I, I'm not saying that anyone that I'm going to be everyone's cup of tea, you're totally entitled to your opinion. I just don't fully understand why you're tagging me in it. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't think I'll ever fully get that, but um, who knows? It's part of it's part of the culture, and of course, it's going to happen. But but also, if anybody's going to know that something isn't totally perfect, it's you. You're the person singing it. Like like duh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. I'm very well aware. I have ears. <laughs> <laughs> I am present. Thank you very much. Also, I'm not a CD, and I haven't been through a desk. So like, just back it up a bit, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh, I thought this feels like therapy. I'm like musical theater, yeah. social media therapy. Something that a friend of mine said, oh my God, I said to her, I'm talking to Eden. And she was like, you have to ask her about Tangled Adventures because like, oh my gosh, like this world, I mean, going into getting to voice this role and getting to be, you know, immersed in this universe. I mean, apart from all of the questions that I know you've been asked a million times, it just looks like really good fun. It is. It was. Every moment was an absolute dream come true. I've always wanted to to voice a character for Disney. And the fact that, you know, I had auditioned for the movie for Tangled. I had auditioned for Frozen. Um, obviously, we know how that went. So to have Tangled come back around in this way and to have me be one of the only new characters and have so many people, you know, connect to Cassandra and embrace her and the music and like just all of it was over the moon. It just, it still sends me over the moon. And I just love that people love the show so much. Is it nice to also step into a world that you are perhaps not too familiar with, you know, to get to sort of focus solely on the voice and know that other people can do that bit. You get to bring everything to you to that. And especially I imagine through your voice, your acting as well. Yeah. It's a completely different um, medium. And I'd had a lot of experience with voiceover before but uh, not to this extent not not the same character for three seasons so um it really is like a different medium and you have to sort of learn the nuance of capturing um emotion through your voice without your face and without your body and without your gestures and so um i learned so much um over the over the three seasons uh voicing cassandra and and also, you know, you're never in the same room as as people, but, you know, sometimes having um, Zach or Mandy's voice to work off of, like, was just amazing because they, they have more experience than I do. But also super cool that all the new characters were from the Broadway community, you know, James Monroe Eigelhart, Jeremy Jordan, Laura Benanti, Gavin Creel. Um, so it was just very, very cool the, um, that they embraced us and included us in, in the fun. <laughs>
the music is so good and you are in really good company. I mean, the list of names that you mentioned there, especially musically getting to who you will work together. It's, it's like yeah. one of my go-to albums. I mean, it, I just think it's great. I love it so much. And I was actually, when I recorded Waiting in the Wings, I was actually in Boston doing Maria Friedman's production of Merrily We Roll Along with Mark Umbers and Damien Humbley. And so, um, whenever I hear Waiting in the Wings or people mention it, I always end up like thinking about Merrily because it was like a time. So, so cool. We haven't spoken about it yet. So there are so many questions that you've been asked about Wicked and therefore trying to find something original to ask you is, is I must confess, quite difficult. I was like, what hasn't <laughs> she, what hasn't she been asked? And we've spoken so much about how you've applied yourself and um, so many of the options and choices that you did have been put in as alter alternative versions and you've, claimed very much that role as part of your wheelhouse and, and you've been celebrated for it in so many different occasions. And so when I was trying to think of stuff that I wanted to ask you, I was sort of curious as to what you felt the woman who performed that role when you were in the, you know, the final stages of playing Alphabet, what would the girl that first started off think of her? What do you think she would think of the different productions, performances, you know, from going as a standby with Adina through to full time, traveling everywhere? What would what would she think of the journey that you went on with Wicked? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. I think there would be nothing but pride um, because I think because I spent so much time playing that role, um, and at, at such formative years for a young woman, like I played it from 25 to 32, always coming back after having left to do another project. And then I would come back and do it for a little bit, leave, do something else and come back. But I think that like, it was really my contact uh, with Joe um, and having Joe Mantello who directed it and having been there in the very beginning and having him really, really kind of take me under his wing and, and give me the permission. You know, it's, it's funny when you're younger and you start with a show as a standby. And I remember the first time that I was gonna do the role without being the standby, it was only gonna be for a six, six week period on, um, on the national tour. And I remember him saying to me, you know, you're not the standby anymore and you can, you can put your own, you know, not that, not that when you're a standby, you have to copy um, what the, you know, you don't have to do an impression of that person, but you're not, you're not fully at liberty to completely put your own spin on it. Um, and so every time I came back, I feel like I would evolve into a, a better artist um, and a more nuanced. So by the time I was done doing the role, I, I almost felt like I was, it almost felt out of body in the sense that like, I knew my version of Elphaba so well that I could react to anything that was thrown at me, anything that went wrong. I could, I was just kind of like in the matrix, <laughs> um, which was very cool. Um, very, very cool. So I think that like that younger woman would look at that journey. And I don't know if I would have believed I, I would have gone to the depths that I did. But I think I would just be like, what? I think, <laughs> I think she would look at me and just go, whoa. <laughs> and I'm proud of you um, for, for taking it to the depths that that I did, because I, I really, 
I, I really did. I, I learned so much from playing Elphaba for that long and I'm, I'm very, very connected to her still. I think it's a testament to the different productions and the fact that Wicked could never let go of you and always wanted to welcome you home that that you really did embrace that role. And I think, you know, we, as much as I joke about, you know, the choices and being obsessed with your voice and the fact that you completely made it your own, I do think that is what makes you so special is because you do have a real sense of, ownership over it which is why it's somewhat surprising when I hear that remark from I think you said it was Joe that said you know you're not the standby anymore I can't ever imagine you copying somebody else or you know not feeling completely at home with that and again I think that's a really commendable thing to say which is that so often when a role isn't yours full-time you do sort of feel in the shadow of somebody else and therefore I can imagine you know when you get to go to LA you know of all places and get to perform that role you go yeah fuck this this is mine and I'm taking over. Yeah and that was that specific production with that specific cast was really almost all of us except for Adam Wiley maybe uh we had all done the show before and it, it, in different productions and so Joe really stripped us of everything and really like pushed us to find uh new new levels and new depths and our a really nuanced our own stamp and it was hard <laughs> Um, and there was a lot of like tears and it was, it, he really pushed us, but I, I can't thank and, and continue to throughout the run. Like he would come in and check and he never let us, um, because that particular production was like Hamilton me, when we were in LA, like it was never like, it was like that on Broadway at the beginning, but LA was like a rock concert. And you know, when you listen to those like YouTube clips, you're like, oh, that was closing in LA because it sounds crazy. <laughs> Um, he never let us fall back on our back foot. He never let us, you know, take advantage of the fact that the audiences were going to love it no matter what. He always pushed us to, to be on our toes. And I'm forever in his debt for that because it just, it's still, um, these are real events happening to real people right now, what he would always say. And I still use that phrase to, to kind of ground me and center me in, making it fresh and staying present. So yeah, it's, it's the gift that will always give to me and I'm forever grateful and I will never be like, ugh, wicked again. I, I really never get tired of talking about it because I love it so much and I love my time with it. We're never going to be without memories because literally the internet is awash of you singing that song. I mean, it's like, gosh, I don't want to listen to Eden singing that bloody song. Like, come on, I want, it's everywhere. <laughs> well, I can't wait till I'm old enough to be Madame Morrible because I'm going, I've already put it out in the universe. Like, I cannot wait to be Madame Morrible. I can't wait. <laughs> How can she riff that start of Wizard and I? She'll find a way. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my God, I can't wait. Has there ever been a discussion about you doing the production in the West End? There was at one point, a long time ago. It was like, it was right before I was about to do my last contract that I did in San Francisco, um, that there was, they were throwing around the possibility, but then it was like a shuffle. They were trying to like shuffle some people around like, well, maybe we'll put Eden in the UK. Um, but then it never, and then I ended up doing San Francisco. So I was thrilled at the possibility and I was hoping that it was going to work out but I, I know that also it was like I was just about to 
get married, like I was getting married in a few months. And like, there was a bunch of stuff happening that it, that it didn't end up panning out. One day I hope something in London um, on the West End and I miss my time there. I did Lizzie a few years ago there at the Greenwich Theater, which was a blast. And so I hope to get back there. I love it and I miss it so much. We miss you and it was actually gonna be my final question, but you sort of very carefully oh. and you managed to answer it for me, which is very good work. So thank you for that. Is just the possibility of us having you here for a you know prolonged period of time. And you know, the, the British writers at the moment, I must confess, are coming up with some pretty extraordinary work. It's sometimes can feel a little bit USA heavy where we're like, why are all the good writers there? But I mean, the success of six is ridiculous. It's gone global yeah. and and yeah. UK writers really are sort of upping their game and it's it's wonderful to see and I look forward to seeing what the pandemic has given them time to hide away and, and to create stuff but I imagine you sort of answered it then but if there was a you know Union Jack flag that came waving I imagine we could perhaps see you here in a heartbeat in a heartbeat call me <laughs> I love that well I'm going to hold you to that because it would be pretty extraordinary to have you here and I know that there are going to be lots of my friends who are going to pretty much collapse when they find out that I've had this real opportunity and luxury to get to spend some time with you today. So thank you so much for that. And I should say some of the other things I want to talk to you about, which we've literally been talking for over an hour, was talk about your amazing album. So when you've listened to this podcast, please go and listen to Ian's albums because she it's extraordinary. And I'm, I'm so glad they say, you know, don't meet your idols, but I'm so glad that we got the opportunity to do this today. So thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. It flew by. I was like, over an hour? Really? Let's let's talk some more and have some tea. Well, when you come here, consider the tea on me. We can do tea and scones and crumpets and whatever else this cliche tradition is. And I, I can it. and I'll make you bell all the way through your order. There we go. I'll give to receive. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you very much. Most importantly, and above everything else, please stay safe. And I look forward to seeing you very, very soon. Likewise. You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at club11.london or via our official social channels. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.